The machine is ever turning, ever hungry. How do you avoid being eaten? How do you avoid drifting into becoming another cog? Can you escape the machine? Should you try or is it impossible? Pondering these questions and more, I mention the machine. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 3 of the Mention the Machine podcast. Today we're going to be talking about how to get rich by uh, Navel, how do you pronounce his last name? <laughs> I had a pronunciation guide and I didn't bring it. Oh man. This we're is always, horrible. We're always so unprepared. Yeah. Alright, that's the podcast. <laughs> anyway, Navel R as we'll call him from now on. Yeah, it's like Ravikant or something. Yeah. He was born in New Delhi. And he moved here at the age of nine to New York. Apparently he lived in a bad part of town, so his mother actually sent him to the library after school every day. He gained a huge interest in reading. So he read a lot of stuff. So apparently he wanted to be an astrophysicist as a kid. And his mom's like, no, you're going to go into business. He's like, no, mom, you're, you're wrong. Guess who was right? <laughs> Mama. So he became a um, an investor. He's done such things as... Foursquare, uh, Yammer, Slack, a bunch of stuff. Yeah, he, he goes into, he talks into one of the podcasts, he talks about how he's been wealthy three times already, and one time was because he risked it all on the, the stock market and lost it, and then another time a shady business partner took it from him. Um, so he knows how to generate wealth, and he goes into talk about the difference between wealth and money. Wealth is having the freedom of your time, not necessarily having a specific amount of money. He says like, there's two games people need to play, the money game and the status game. And some people seem to think the money will solve all their problems, and it solves their money problems. While status games, people who don't have money try and play the status game of, oh, well, I'm not making money because money's root of all evil, so therefore I'm better than you. Yeah, people that blame money for their problems don't realize that their problems are probably not money problems. Like Ramit likes to say, if you have a problem that can be solved by money, then you don't have a problem. Yeah. So they talk. He talks about you want to build wealth, and wealth is basically assets that work while you sleep. Like he talk. They also talks about how, like, when you're working, you're making money. When you stop working, you're not making money. Yeah. His quote is, "You can't get rich by renting out your time." Yeah. So he's talking about you want to make sure that you seek out wealth instead. And you also want to make sure that you make abundance for the world. Like, everyone seems to think that it's a zero-sum game. In actuality, there's a lot of abundance if we look for it and make it. Yeah, the point that Burkett, uh really rang with me about the, the not it being, and it not being a zero-sum game is that if it were a zero-sum game, then we'd all still be competing for the same resources that were around when we were cavemen. Yeah, one of the examples he talks about housing of, like, if I buy a house, other people can still buy houses. Yeah, so... You don't even buy the only house. Mm-hmm. And also talks about making money isn't about luck. It's about having skills. Uh, skills that can uh, make money in particular. Um, the, the four types of luck he goes through are, are blind luck, luck from hustling, luck from preparation, and luck from your unique character. Which one of those four types do you think is the, the one that applies most to you? I think it's number four, luck from unique character. Because blind luck just happens, and I don't have that. Like, any time, like, oh, we're doing a raffle, I'm like, I'm out, I'm going to lose. Or, it's a random thing, I'm not getting picked. Even when I play Dungeons & Dragons games, like, games of chance, the dice, I'm like, I got to roll the dice? Yeah, it's going to be bad. 
Yeah, I think I have number two. I think I'm more luck from hustling, which he describes as like you're just constantly stirring up the pot. So eventually, mm-hmm. like something happens. Yeah, so it's like I just keep mixing things up and getting involved in things, and hopefully, hopefully, mm-hmm. hoping for the best. But it's like luck through persistence, I believe. Yeah, uh, he says in in a, in a thousand multiple in a thousand different dimensions, you want to have the skills. Of, you want to have the skills to be rich in nine hundred ninety nine of yeah. them. You don't want luck to be the the reason why you got something. Which is kind of funny because he talks about the fourth type of luck, luck from unique character. His, his prime example is if you're an expert scuba diver, you can go deeper than anybody else can go. And somebody else had some blind luck and they found a treasure. Well, you're the only guy who can go get it. So because you've, you're who you are, you get picked for that. Yeah, and that, that um, well, luck from your unique character, he gives a couple examples of different people for it. And one of the people he gives is actually Trump. How Trump is wealthy, not because of any particular skills he has, but because how he's branded his name. Yeah, he's he's basically a brand now. He's not a person. Right. There's also luck from preparation, which, I mean, you prepare enough and you'll be ready for almost anything. Yeah, and that, that's the, uh, the Batman luck. Yeah. Make luck your destiny. So you build your character so the opportunities find you instead of you finding opportunities. Based kind of on the question you're asking on episode zero about how do you know what problems are you going to solve? Well, after listening to this guy, it's more of, well, you're built for it. Yeah, it's kind of like what what things interest you, those are the things that you should should seek out more of and then you'll find your opportunity and it's like if you're you're interested in coding and you become the best coder, then opportunity is going to find you for being the best coder. Mm-hmm. It also talks about living below your means for, for freedom. A lot of people, like, they get, they get a raise, I gotta buy more shit. There's a, I was obsessed with container, I still am, with container houses and, like, small, like, not tiny houses, but, like, containers and stuff. And, um, this one woman, she bought a container, this is like 2007, 2008, because she wanted to build a house for her kids. And instead of having to work 40 hours a week, she only had to work, like, 10 or 20 hours a week to afford the container home and the land she lived on. Yeah, it's it's very it's very easy to get trapped in in that when you especially when you're doing the keeping up with the Joneses thing. You see other people having nice things, so you think you have to have nice things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's I think it's also it's tricky though. It's a tricky trap to avoid because I know I think about it all the time when before I started really making money in my career, it's like I had an apartment, my rent was like five five hundred dollars a month, and like I only made like eight hundred dollars a paycheck, mm-hmm. and it's like. I was doing okay then. It's like, I make more than that now, so I should be doing better. But mm-hmm. then I think about it, and that was like 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, it's like me. Like, I, I, got, I chose my apartment because it had Fios. I chose my apartment because it was close to everything. Well, here I find out it's one of the cheapest apartment complexes in, in, in Pittsburgh. Like, I'd be stupid and try and move someplace else. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I see that all the time when people, like, in my, in my neighborhood in particular, like, these people that are buying these houses that for, like, half a million dollars. And I'm like, why would you buy a house in the city for half a million dollars when you could go to, like, Ohio and buy land and acreage and exactly. be by yourself? Like, I'll never forget my friend Scott lived down in Absinwall. He was making, he was paying, like, $600 and some dollars a month for his rent. He basically lived, like, in a retirement apartment complex. And it was like everyone out over there was over the age of 50 and 60. And my friend Jonah was living in D.C. He was paying like three times the amount of money for the same amount of stuff in D.C. And it's like, that's just stupid. Like, that's why I stay in Pittsburgh. I like being, I like things being cheap. Yeah, although things are getting less cheap here. It's, yeah. Uh, they're, they're trying to compete with New York now, it seems, for some of the rents. Like, I think our old apartment before we moved here, it was uh, like $810 a month for rent for the one-bedroom apartment. And now he's renting it for like $1,200 a month. Mm-hmm. And it's like, pff, it's a one-bedroom apartment. Like, yeah. 
Now that I'm going to talk about is giving society what it doesn't know how to get. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting one because that's one of those things where you have to be innovative. You have to be innovative before everyone else is. He gives the example of the iPhone and how nobody really thought they needed a, a pocket computer and then Apple did it and uh, yeah. everyone, everyone has one. And they also talked about like you want to you basically want to create something like that and then make sure you can make you can scale and make millions of them so you can make tons of money off of it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's how Apple made so much money was because they were selling so many phones. And now now they just sell uh, uh well the funny peripherals. Thing, well, the funny thing is they stopped they they were big in computers in two thousand seven, and around two thousand eleven they stopped focusing on computers and focused more on the iPod and, and the iPad and stuff. Yeah, and, and now you see that iPad technology even showing up on their operating system for their, their MacBooks and everything. Yeah. It also talks about the Internet has a massive, has massively branded broadened career possibilities. Like 10, 15 years ago, you didn't see podcasters. You didn't see Twitch streamers. You didn't see Instagram models. Yeah. Now, the, point the point that I liked about that was he said that the Internet gave the ability for every person to be in touch with everybody else on the planet, yeah. whether that's through an email, that's through a tweet, that's through uh, making a website. Somehow you can get your message to everybody that needs to hear it. Yeah. And also about how what niches, like, you don't have to have a million people. You can have a thousand people that are, are rabid fans of whatever you're doing. Like, if you're doing under, underwater basket weaving, like, and people want to see it, they're going to pay for it. Yeah, there's a, a rule. I think it's like 1,000 true fans. Yeah. Not, not the true fans, like the the porn website, but yeah. like if you have a product and you have a thousand true fans, that's a test to say that the product is successful. Yeah. Like I look at Wayne, like the movie Wayne's world, like they're in their basement making their show and everything's great. And they won't try to go corporate and they change everything. And then like people didn't like it. Yeah. Well, they lost their unique character. Yeah. So Wayne's play- world reference. Do we have to define that for people? They might not understand that one. Back in 1993, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up on IMDb. Yeah. It's good to watch. It's a funny movie. Play long-term games with long-term people. So he talks about, like, making long-term relationships because it's easier to do business with people that you know them for a while. And, like, for example, he talked about a contract. Instead of having to drop a contract and do all the stuff, well, I've done the guy for 15 years and we've done great stuff. Like, oh, the handshake's good enough for me for this. Yeah, he, he talks about how that's all uh, an example of compound interest. Which is interesting because I always think about how, like, combat interest, you think about that from things like a money perspective. With, yeah. like, 401k and you're investing and your money grows over time. But with a, re- a relationship, it's compound interest also. Like, you can have, a, you can get things done faster when you have a longer relationship with people. It's like, the, his, the idea of, like, having your, your wife who's your trusted person. You can make decisions faster because you both know each other and you both trust each other. Yeah. He, he gives the example also of, like... Uh, I think it's Congress who's in there for so long. The the older congressmen that know each other, they usually come to de- more deals than any of the younger people because the younger people don't know each other. So yeah. they're like, why am I gonna why am I gonna risk my neck making this deal with you when you might not be here next year? Exactly. He talks about picking partners with intelligence, energy, integrity. This is kind of like his trifecta of picking business partners. Yeah, and he mentions the uh, the integrity is a more important part because without that, the other two don't matter. Exactly. Another thing that comes back from Napoleon Hill <laughs> is arm yourself with specific knowledge. And basically he talks about specific knowledge can't be taught. It's something you learn. And how, like, if they can be taught, then they can be mass-produced and anybody can do it and you can re- you're replaceable. 
well, specific knowledge of stuff that you have a passion for learning how to do, and you learn all those little those tricks that not everybody knows or things about doing. Like I always made the the thing of, well, why do you always give free t- computer support away? Like you'll tell me how to do stuff. I'll tell you how to do brain surgery. Doesn't mean you can do it. Yeah, doesn't mean you want to either. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's true. I mean, that's that's the same thing with a lot of other, well, a lot of things that people do are easy, but they're not. They're simple, not easy. So mm-hmm. it's like the computer stuff. Yeah, it's it's simple to tell somebody how to do this thing, but it's hard for them to go and do it because for a lot of people, they don't they don't have any background in it. it they don't know the way the tools work. They don't know like what what the, what the command line is. So it can get tricky. Mm-hmm. Specific 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 knowledge is highly creative and technical. Yeah, that one I don't I don't know. Highly creative or technical. I guess that that's the, that's like when you get further along the path, it's either you have to be one or the other. You have to be highly creative in that field, or you have to be highly highly technical. It's got like either you're the like if you're an engineer, for instance, you're either the best engineer because you know the most about this this nuclear reactor or whatever you're you're working on, or you're the best engineer because you can come up with the best solution because you think in creative terms. Exactly. Learn to sell and learn to build. You basically said that the bet, if you, the the one two punch is if you can learn to sell and build, you're basically unstoppable. They made a quote of he rather teach somebody who knows how, an engineer how to market than teach a marketer how to engineer, because it's easier to learn the one first than the other, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Because I wonder which side of the fence I fall on on that. Do I is it harder for me to learn how to sell at the, my age, or is it harder for me to learn how to build more? I've been building websites and things like that, but I don't know if that counts as building, in the sense it of like building. I like. I know, for example, me. I cannot sell. I used to study internet marketing with this lady in Canada. She was making five and six figures doing all this crazy stuff, and I tried to make like ads and stuff, and it was just, just like it's wrong. It's wrong. I'm like, but I followed the formula. It's still wrong. <laughs> like whatever I did, I'm like, this is witchcraft. This is not a. This is not a science. There, there is a science to it, but there's like a. I, I don't know so much about selling on the internet in particular. When I think of sale, selling, I think about person-to-person selling i think about starting at that base level of like you know can you can you sell this product to this person it's like the uh the qvc thing the story with um mike Rowe, where he went was went for the job interview with qvc and they asked him to sell him this pencil mm-hmm. and so he had to pick up the pencil he had to explain all the details of the pencil and get the guy to like buy into the idea of the pencil mm-hmm. it's a funny story if you ever get a chance check it out on youtube but like that idea of selling is the one where i don't think i'm any good at mm-hmm um selling ideas is also another trickier one i'm i'm too technical and too just honest like i'm not gonna try and give you fluff it's a pencil it writes it does a good job <laughs> well i mean that might be all you need that might be the elevator pitch not anymore no nah, no everyone needs everyone needs everything super they have super long explanation that they don't read anyway tldr mm-hmm. yep read what you love until you love to read like the library thing, he basically, that was his babysitter. It was like, until she came to get him, he used to stay, stay at the library. He just started reading random books. And like, even the day, he says he reads a bunch. And he, he quoted the one Bruce Lee phrase, uh, quote, I'm not afraid of the guy who knows a thousand punches. I'm afraid of the guy who said one punch a thousand times. Almost. Almost the right quote. It's like, I'm not afraid of a man who's practiced 10,000 kicks one time. Okay. It's the guy that's practiced one kick 10,000 times that he's worried about. There we go. But uh, yeah, the, the, the read what you love until you love the read thing. I, I get that because there's uh, some books that I try to pick up and I read and they're just, they're, they're t- difficult to get to. Uh, they're just, they're so dense. Yeah. Like, for example, the 12 basic rules from Jordan Peterson. 
I tried reading that book. I couldn't do it. I had to actually listen to it two times speed just to get through the thing. Well, let's let's be honest. You weren't reading it. You were listening to it. And Jordan Peterson does sound like Kermit the Frog, so it's hard, hard, to, hard to listen to him. Um, the problem with that with him is the problem with an author that I know what they sound like is even if they're not reading the audio book and I'm reading the actual physical book, I hear it in their voice. So it's still the same. See, for me, I, I just I read it and it just goes in. There's no voice. <laughs> now, there's, there's a voice for me. So my favorite one. There's no actual skill called business. Yeah. <laughs> I oh, there's a memo telling me like, oh, what's an MBA? What's business? What's this? What's business school? What do they do? It's like I couldn't find an answer. Like it was all just like it wasn't didn't seem like it did anything. But he talked about it. I'm like, wow. Like he just blatantly blatantly said it. Yeah, there's the fact that there's no actual skill goes into uh, Tim Tim Ferriss had a thing where it was like uh you can basically build your own personal MBA just by reading a couple of books. Mhm. So it's like, why Why are people going to school for that? Why is there a degree program for it? It's almost like colleges had to make this thing up in order to make money. Yeah. Which makes me think about uh, uh, the quote from Goodwill Hunting. When he said, you, you, spent, you spent thousands of dollars going to Harvard to learn this thing. You could have got it for $6 in library fees. <laughs> <laughs> like the other day, I was working on my car, and I had to replace the blower resistor for the thermostat and my dad came in to watch me like he always does because that's what he does now he sits down and heckles me and goes tells me how things should be done he's like how do you know to do this i'm like i looked it up online i watched a video and i know exactly where the screws are i know exactly what to do <laughs> i like it took it was an 18 minute video i got the job done in five minutes like it took longer to get the tools out than to do the actual job yeah the amount of things you can learn on youtube these days is astonishing I, I just think people need to learn. Not, and people need to have better editors with their, their videos on YouTube because they just some videos don't need to be 20 minutes. They can exactly. be five. Kills me. Well, that also leads to embracing accountability to get leverage. That sounds like uh, extreme ownership to me. Exactly. Sounds like if you take take responsibility for the the uh, the faults there that people begin to trust you. Mm-hmm. Well, he talks about like failing in public and like putting your name out there. I'm like, oh, that's the guy that kept doing that, but look at him now. He did this. Like, look at Elon Musk. He kept failing to do rockets. Now he's got a rocket that lands itself. Yeah. Yeah, and Elon Musk, it's uh, a bad name these days, but I still th- I still th- appreciate him for what he's trying to do. Yeah. Also leads into take accountability and earn equity. I can't, I can't, I, I should have wrote down the notes for leverage and equity, what he defines as them. I think equity is like having a piece of, a piece of what? A piece of, like, I guess the proverbial pie. Yeah, probably. I mean, I, the way I think about it is, like, uh, equity can be considered uh, considered trust also. Yeah. Like, to me, take accountability to earn equity. It makes me think of uh, Jocko and his brand. Mm-hmm. So Jocko started out, you know, he's just a retired Navy SEAL. He did a, a podcast with Joe Rogan, one episode. Did a podcast with Tim Ferriss, one episode. They both said he should start a podcast. He started a podcast. Then that podcast, he started selling his own uh, his own brand of, of tea, and then that tea he started selling his. Uh, now he's now he sells uh, jeans, boots, uh, su- all these supplements and everything else, all labeled all off of his name, and it's all good quality product because his name. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't want to ruin his name and his brand by by being a on a shill. Yeah, being a shill or not having integrity. Mm-hmm. Labor and capital are old leverage. So. Like, 
I guess leverage is like things that get you could get get done. Like if you had money and you had labor, you could do pretty much anything back in the old. Yeah, yeah. It's the, the leverage. The what are you using to get to accomplish a task? Basically, labor and capital. Back in the day, if you wanted to get a like a railroad built or a building built, you had to have labor and capital. You had mm-hmm. to have people to do it. You had to have the money to do it. Now with the digital world, products and media are the new leverage, which is true because like I I was studying internet marketing for a while, and these people would make these products, and some of these products were just garbage. Like, they didn't have enough substance to them. Like, it felt like, you know, like when you make, you make Kool-Aid, they tell, you the, they tell you what the mix is and it's, it tastes good. Well, their product was basically the same thing, but they had an extra gallon of water. Like, you got just enough to, like, be useful, but not enough to be, like, worth the money they, they sold you to. Hmm. So, like, when I'd make my, I, I made information products, like, how-to guides and how to do things. Like, I did a WordPress security site. I did a thing about Bitcoin back in the day, like, 2014. But, like, these guides that I wrote were full of content. Like, they were just dense. Like, they were easy to understand, but they were dense. All these people are just doing fluffy stuff to make it look nice. You have all these graphics and all these images, and you got, like, maybe 10% of the content that should be there. Yeah, I got a... My example to that is, have you ever... Have you read a book where you're like, I bet this guy started out as a blogger? Yeah. Because I've read those books and I'm like, this this reads this doesn't read polished. This doesn't sound like a guy that's been writing mm-hmm. for a living. Like this isn't the guy that studied how to write. This is a guy that wrote wrote a popular blog and then somebody gave him a book deal. Yeah. Because you can usually tell which ones they are because they usually have a swear word in the title. Mm-hmm. But they all Greek it out with the, the yeah. goofy letters. The other thing they like to do is they'll, tar- they'll start telling you about something, but then they have no credibility. Like this one dude, I was reading his book and um, basically he was a... He was a, a black blogger, and he's supposed to be really popular. But he had all these all these hot takes about society. And then you read halfway, like a half a couple chapters later, he's violating the rules that he hates about people. I'm like, so do you hate yourself then? Because you're bearing all these rules you just made for yourself. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the internet made it easy to have a voice, but not everyone should be heard. Exactly. Pick a business model with leverage. Uh, hmm. Basically, you want to pick a business model that will that will work like there's like there's business models where you have to do a lot of work up front to get it done there's some business models where if you can hire enough enough people to do the 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 grunt work you can get it going something like that is what i i understood from it yeah that's it's tricky business model with leverage well i can actually look at my other notes Uh oh joel's at least somewhat prepared today i was too prepared earlier actually (laughs) So, like a, a business model with leverage, I guess that would mean that you want to pick a business model that already has leverage built into it so you don't have to create the leverage. Oh, I'm almost there. Which, going back to the previous point, would be, you know, it has product and media already in it. Uh, take risks of your own name and society will reward you with leverage. You need accountability to get leverage. Take business risks under your own uh, or right. pass that one. Yeah. It will function. Team has clear accountability for each position, and people who can fail in public have a lot of power. Oh, wait. I got the wrong one. Never yeah, mind. Wrong, wrong one. <laughs> Oops. And next one. No? That's. I skipped a few things. Here oh, we go. Yeah. An ideal business has a network effect, low marginal costs, and scale economics. So basically, like, the network effect is if you've got five people on something, the output's gonna be twenty five times it squares itself. So if you if you put a ten ten time ten effort into it, it's gonna come out a hundred times. So you want you don't want things that are 
linear, you want things that are exponential for a business model. Right. Okay. So things that can expand easier. Yeah. So for example, if you let's say for example, like I've done this before, I've wrote I've written reviews for iPod, iOS apps, and Android apps. So if I get hired and say for five dollars a review for a hundred words, well that I can only write so many a day. But if you can hire more people to do it at the same rate, you can just add more money and get more result. That's the uh, the China idea, yeah, <laughs> which went from China, well, it went from uh, India to China, and then they tried it in like some Sweden or something. They're trying it now. Mm-hmm. It's like, also, the more product you produce, the cheaper it gets. So, like manufacturing, as an example. But yeah, network effects values grows the squares of the customers. So, mm-hmm. yay, backup plans. <laughs> so, from labor to entrepreneur. Like the one of the examples he talked about was like if you start out being like a super for like taking care of a apartment complex, then you start buying property, then you start basically hiring people to do the jobs that need done, and then you're just managing the whole thing. Like you you start at the ground floor. Well, actually, that's I guess like maintenance guy, but you work your way up through the system, and because you know everything, you can basically direct the business easier. Yeah, it, Jordan Peterson goes into something similar where he talks about how you have to you have to pick a path and discipline in your life. And he said, you know, go be a plumber and be the best one you can be because then you're not just a plumber. You become a employer because you probably start start your own business at that point. You become a staple of the community because you're hiring people in the community. Mm-hmm. Like you become this big bigger part of this bigger picture by by pushing yourself through that mm-hmm. that narrow uh, funnel to. Uh, not distill the opposite of distill yourself to concentrate yourself. Yeah. Like another example is like he talks about how general contractors get equity, but they're also taking the risk. Like the reason the contractor gets so much more money because they're the one doing all the work. Like, yes, you're working for them, but you're doing a job that anybody can do. They can easily replace you. Right. But him being only getting the jobs, making connections, that's where the money comes in. You're the, you're the cog, not the linchpin. Yeah. A buddy of mine, he does uh, excavating. And I believe the way it works is he works for his buddy. The buddy gets all the work. His buddy gets 20% off the top because he's the one doing all that work. Mm-hmm. My buddy doesn't want to do all that stuff. All he wants to do is dig ditches. Yeah. So it's the best of both worlds. He, he gets all the work. The other guy doesn't do all the work. He just goes out and finds work. Yeah, there was a an argument with uh, – what's the guy that nobody likes? The, I think it's – I think it's Ben Shapiro, mm-hmm. where the guy was trying to do the the communist argument with him, with talking about how you know it's not the owner of the factory that that owns it; it's the employees of the factory. Mm-hmm. And Ben Shapiro's, the, if they were making pencils, like then it's the employees that own the pencil factory, not not the not the, the actual landowner. But Ben Shapiro's point was what it's the factory owner that has to take all the legal responsibility, has to take all the tax responsibilities, take all the liabilities. So he's actually the owner. It's actually his business. Mm-hmm. Like we said, um, property developers pocket the profit by applying capital leverage. Like basically, the higher up you go, the more risk they have to take, and the more stuff they're they're controlling. So, judgment is a decisive skill. I, I would think that's definitely true. That's one of those things where we've all had that disagreement with a, somebody like. What do you want to eat? Oh, I don't know. Where do you want to eat? What do you mm-hmm. want to do? I, the, the person that can just make a decision and go with it mm-hmm. is usually the, the one that's going to be better off because making a decision is better than indecisiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, Jocko calls it um, getting off the X. X is where the ambush happens. Like mm-hmm. Get off the X as soon as you can. Make a decision, even if it's the wrong one. Mm-hmm. Once you're in motion, you can readjust. Mm-hmm. And set an, uh, an aspirational hourly rate. That was interesting because he, he talks about how he used to 
basically give away his time and then he set his time his, his hourly rate at five hundred dollars an hour and he wouldn't do anything that caught for that, that would he wouldn't do anything that he could solve by paying somebody less than that yeah and then he, he went and went it can increase he went it all the way up to like five thousand dollars an hour and it's like then he's then he's entirely quit traveling to places because it wasn't worth the time or the money yeah like if a meeting has to be traveled to the meeting it was his pointless to him so. yeah should have been an email yep I think there was a whole thing of it should have been an email, should have been a phone call, should have been a phone call, should have been a text message, should have been a text message, and why bother? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you also work as hard as you can. Work as hard as you can, yeah. Because I, I think a lot of times people don't don't really do that because they don't believe in what they're doing enough. And that's, that's a tricky one because you until you work as hard as you can at something, you don't know if it's mm-hmm. going to actually produce a result for you. You okay. might be just shy. Of getting that result, you might be at the ninety percent, and you need to be at like ninety-five to see the actual changes. Um, the examples that I can give are like health and fitness stuff, where people they 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 work, they do like one good day of dieting, one good day of working out, and they think that the scale is going to change in a day, but it's like it's not going to change in a day. It takes a little bit longer. It's funny you say that. <laughs> I've been a little obsessive over the past month and a half. I actually bought a new scale like two, about a week and a half ago to uh, track my weight for. All the biking and, and intermittent fasting I've been doing, and my mom's like, "Why are you weighing stuff every day? Like that's depressing." I'm like, "No, I'm a science experiment. <laughs> if I eat this stuff yesterday, then how much weight do I gain today? Like if I eat a thousand calories a day, then what's going to happen tomorrow?" And like it's and it's fascinating watching. Like I was telling you earlier today, I ate like crap yesterday because I went out with a friend of mine for lunch, and um, ended up making that my cheat day for the week, and um, I ended up getting fast food for dinner. I rolled a dice, and the dice said fast food. And I gained like two pounds, and I'm like, well, this is crap. <laughs> and I lost a pound overnight. And like, on average, lately, I've been losing like half a pound a night while I sleep. So it's like, I'm watching all these numbers fluctuate. I'm like, there's a rhyme and reason to this. Oh, it's a science. The, the fast food probably had high sodium, which made you retain more water, which mm-hmm. made you, you, you probably beat out half of it mm-hmm. by the time you woke up. But yeah. The, uh, the quote, what gets measured gets changed. Mm-hmm. So if you're not measuring your, your if you're not measuring things like your weight, is your weight really going to change? Mm-hmm. Some people also start to say that like, you shouldn't worry about the weight. You should be worrying about, uh, like how your clothes fit and how you feel. But mm-hmm. I but think like, weight's a good, weight's, weight's easier to measure than like body fat percentage. Yeah. But also as a previous boss of mine taught me plan for future expansion. <laughs> that works for networking and works for clothing. <laughs> <laughs> All, all your clothes are actually uh, they're maternity clothes, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Be too busy to do coffee. This was really interesting to me because he talks about you want to be busy but not have a full calendar. Yeah, I think there's too much in our, our world these days where people people they they do a virtue signaling of being busy. Mm-hmm. Like they say, oh, I'm so busy. And people are proud of the fact that they work 60 to 80 hour weeks. But they don't actually like, work in 60 hours a week. No, that, that's impossible. They're, they're, they're sitting in front of their computer for 60 to 80 hours a week, maybe, but mm-hmm. they're not really. If you, were 60, if you were actually sitting in front of your computer for 80 hours a week and you weren't rich or working on your own thing, like you made some real bad decisions in life. Exactly. The thing I love that he's talking about is ruthlessly, ruthlessly declined meetings. Yeah. Like, I, in these projects at work, I got put onto a daily stand-up, which was the bane of my existence. Because it was right at the beginning of the, meeting, of the morning. I had just enough time to get started or something, and then get sidetracked. And then after a meeting like that, like, I'm sidetracked another 45 minutes. So, like, half my morning was already shot. I finally got out of it. 
But like meetings, like all these meetings, and half the time you don't even need them. But like, there's been a couple meetings I've been invited to. I don't say a word. Like I used to make the joke at work that my goal was the maximum words I say in the meeting is ten words. That's usually about that's about as many as I would say. And then when I get to, when I'm doing no words and that I like I'm sitting doing other work, I'm like I shouldn't have even been here. Yeah, and the problem the problem that that feeds into is the uh, the the idea of manager time versus product produ- producer's time. Mm-hmm. Like manager's time is broken up into like fifteen minute blocks, and mm-hmm. they judge their their success of their day by got something they going over it by uh, how many meetings they had, how many things they, they think they got moving forward. But if you're up on the producing end of things, then a 15 minute meeting probably kills your productivity by like an hour because exactly. it takes you 20 minutes to get back where you were. Like there have been, like, I remember this project I'm working on right after work. I remember the one day I started at one o'clock. I worked from one o'clock to six o'clock straight through. And like I was, that's the most productive. And no one talked to me, no one bothered me. I got so much more done than if I worked on it like during the day. Like, I got more done in that six hours than I did all week. Yeah, there's a great book on meetings, and it's called Rework, and it talks about how a lot of the systems that we have set up that are in the that are in the the information age in these offices are were systems that were set up when the industrial age was kicking off. And it's like, why did you go to the office? Well, the office was where the power was. So you had to go to the office in order to work because there was lights. Mm-hmm. So you could do the typing or whatever else you needed to do. Uh, all these other systems, like things like that. We don't need that anymore. Um, they talk about meetings and how bad meetings are, and they they don't. Most meetings they want them to be like a walking meeting. You have to walk while you're yeah. doing the meeting because that defers everyone from making it longer than it needs to be. Because mm-hmm. people don't like to walk. Yeah. If every meeting didn't have if every meeting room didn't have chairs in it, meetings would be a lot shorter. But you get these chairs and you get these people that like to sit there and talk. And then mm-hmm. next thing you know, somebody's bringing in bagels, and you're in there for two three hours for a meeting that could have been an email. Mm-hmm. He talks about ruthlessly cutting meetings. And, like, I think that, for me, it's time and the number of meetings. Like, I've been actually being more, I've been more deleting meetings. I'm like, I don't need to meet the developer every three days or every day. Like, I'm like, okay, I'll give you the stuff for the next week, then we'll figure out the next time I'm going to meet. Like, give us time to do stuff. Like, there's no reason for all these meetings. Yeah, sometimes, like, they, a lot of times from a product manager, from a, uh, uh, project management standpoint, the project manager likes to have these touch points, but he includes everyone that he can possibly need in there. And it's like, that's not the job of the project manager. Like he's the guy that's anybody else in the project should be able to go to and say, where's this project at? Where's this part at? Exactly. Versus him trying to get all the information from everyone all at the same time. Because mm-hmm. when you have a meeting and you have 15 people in it, you're not just having one, you're not just losing one hour of productivity. You're losing 15 hours. Yeah. Like he also talks about people, people will meet with you and you have proof of work. Like, there have been so many times that these guys want to meet with them. Like, there's nothing to show you. I need to get things done. When I have a demo, I'll show you the demo. Yeah. I, I, like, again, there's, there's meetings that I have on my calendar that are not, they don't even involve me at this point. They're higher above me. I'm in there just to hear these people talk about their problems on it. It's like, I don't need to be in this meeting. Exactly. Which also goes back to keep, re- keep redefining what you do. Yeah, I, that's that's kind of just natural to me. It's just kind of keep evolving and keep changing because I have such such wide interests. Mm-hmm. All I got the notes I had from there was become the best in the world at what you do. Keep re- keep redefining what you do until you're the best at what you do, and find product find the find find well find founder product market fit. So I guess that basically means like once you get the best you can do, find the market for that skill so you can you can monetize it.
Yeah, I can see that, and that that goes into what we were talking about earlier about people being a brand. I mean, the the, the Trump idea, like he whatever whatever Trump actually does, I don't I don't know for sure, but he's a brand now. Mm-hmm. He's like so people are gonna people are gonna come to him because he's a brand with mm-hmm. whatever. Um, the the example he gave in the the podcast that he was on with Joe Rogan was Joe Rogan is. Uh, Nobody can replace Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. Like they can, they can be have other podcast hosts, but nobody's going to be the same as Joe Rogan. It's funny you say that because that leads into escaping com- competition through authenticity. Mm-hmm. Like the one thing he talked about was like human beings are unique. Everyone has a unique set of skills. Like you can't be replaced because you're the you're the only person like you. So you're going to have the ideas you have are unique to you. So if you can leverage that, like Joe Rogan did by becoming a podcaster. Like the way, because I've watched many YouTube videos on the way he interviews people and the way he talks to people and the way, like, nobody else does interviews like Joe Rogan does. Right. And Joe Rogan had actually had the uh, the chance to do an interview with Trump, but Trump wanted, Trump's team wanted Joe Rogan to fly out to the White House. It was mm-hmm. only going to be like a 15-minute interview, and Joe Rogan was going to be provided with talking points, and Joe mm-hmm. Rogan declined it on multiple times. Like, that's not what I do. Mm-hmm. I like to have long-form conversations with people where we sit down for two or three hours and, mm-hmm. like, we just talk. So he didn't. He didn't do it, and a lot of people wouldn't have had the. Uh, they wouldn't have had the the success to maintain the, the self confidence in their success to maintain their authenticity and not accept that offer because it would have boosted him them up. It would have broken his his equity. And it would have, yeah. It would have ruined his integrity. And he leveraged his leverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the uh, escape competition through authenticity. There was something else. There's some other thought I had in there about that too. Uh, let's see. No compete. No way compete with being you. Oh, oh, through that the uh, escape competition through authenticity was the idea when you're saying how oh, nobody, nobody is, um, nobody's like you. That goes into the idea of when you're working on your self development. The idea of like you got to compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Yeah. The one thing I keep repeating to a ton of people that probably hate me saying this is the only person you compete against is yourself. Yep. All you got to do is be one percent better today than you were yesterday. What was the you had a but you had a thing of a hypothetical that always rings through. That was um Pat McNamara's saying. He said, If you were cloned yesterday, could you kick your clone's ass tomorrow? So you had to do what you could today to be better than your clone could be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. It's a good one. Also one thing I love is in in, in entrepreneurship the masses are never right. Like that's why I hate all these focus groups for stuff. Like people don't want to fail. They want to just have the perfect product. Like they were talking about it. Um, oh, that's not the topic. I'll, I'll, I'll use that for later. <laughs> but um, basically, they always use focus groups, and they never use the same focus group. So they always change the product on these random outputs instead of having like consistent people. Like actually get a focus group of the people they're going to watch or do what they're going to do. Yeah, in uh, web development, they talk about creating a persona for your different type of users, and mm-hmm. then you got to nail that persona down to what's the persona that you're actually crafting your message to. Yeah, it's not all the personas. You're not because if if everyone likes your product, then nobody really likes your product. They're just they're just giving you bullshit. Mm-hmm. But if, if you can find like which one is the authentic voice that you want to sell to, then you're probably got a good product. Mm-hmm. Another thing talks about is com- combine your vocation and navigation. Combine your vocation and, uh, and an application? Advocation. Advocation. What's the difference? I don't know. <laughs> skip that one. Yeah, we'll skip that one. But <laughs> specialize, in being, specialize in being you. I come back to my friend Nick, who we're trying to do a pod- He wanted to do a podcast. Like, he wanted to do, like, kind of like a talk about current events and his thoughts on it. And um, he also was going to do a stock tip uh, thing. And I was going to be the, the idiot because I don't know anything about, about enough about finance. Well, 
he tried to do a persona that wasn't him, and he crashed and burned. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's like, dude, you got to be yourself. Because like, I don't feel like I'm a specialist. I'm like, dude, you've got the knowledge. Your brand of personality is going to... I would say, my favorite quote is, if you're one in a million, there's 7,000 more people on the planet just like you. You only need 1,000 of those guys that subscribe to you. Yeah, it, it makes me also think, because I always think about things from like my, my web development career and the people that I follow and how knowledgeable they are. And it's like, well, do I have anything to offer in that space? And it's like, well, yeah, because I've been doing it for 20 years and there are people that are just starting. So mm-hmm. my knowledge is way more than those people have. They might not be as much as the people I'm following. Mm-hmm. I still have still have content to give yeah. and value. Well, like for Toastmasters, I've mentored over like 10 people. And I always give this thing. I always give like the most important speech as tips. Like, first one's your icebreaker. Fuck up. Do the worst way possible. You only go up from there. Yeah. If you do a perfect speech on your on your on your thing, then you got to live up to that and get better than that. Like I give them all these tips to get started, and like, oh my god, you're right. This is so much easier. Yeah, and the thing with Toastmasters is that a lot of people they're so scared of speaking that way, but the the. The trick there is it's like any other skill. It's like you got to do repetitions to mm-hmm. practice it. So you got to get up there and you got to, you're going to, you're going to fall. You're going to fail. But like yeah. the more you do it, the better you get. Why do we fall down? <laughs> so we can pick ourselves up. So I don't know why this is in here, but I still love it. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Yeah, I love that quote because it's like, I, I see it a lot of time. I, I mean, we just had the 4th of July and it's like, how many people lost fingers that night mm-hmm. just because they're playing stupid games with fireworks? It's like, you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Competition will blind you to greater games. Like, I hate competition. Like, I do stuff for fun. I don't do things to compete. The only time that that, that, that tweaks me is when I see, like, if I'm, let's say I'm playing a video game, and I'm pretty good at this video game. If I put mine to it, I can be, like, really good. I'm playing with some other guy who's being an asshole. If I know I can beat that guy, I'm going to turn it up and kick the shit out of him. Just to show <laughs> him that he's a piece of shit. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit there and kick everyone's ass because, oh, I got to be the best. Like, I'm just here to have fun. Yeah, if that's saying like if you're in the if you're the smartest person in the room, you need better rooms. It's the exactly. same thing there. If you're if you're playing if you're a chess player and you you're beating everybody in chess, then you're not challenging your skills at all. You're not great at chess. You're just in a room exactly. full of dimwits. Like I fly plan, RC planes with my buddies. They've been playing 15, 20 years, and they make me want to do better. And like one thing I always do, and I have a dumb thing to try. I'm like, hey Mike, can I get can I pull this off? If he says yes, I'm going to try it. I'm going to believe I can do it. Do a barrel roll. If he says no, I'm like, okay, don't do that one yet. <laughs> but also, uh, business that seems like they're in the... Wait. Businesses, businesses that seem like they're in the direct competition really aren't. Basically saying how everybody... If you didn't if you didn't know the, the price from another company, most likely the price is going to be the same price from company True. and company B. Yeah, I could see that probably like with a Walmart Target comparison, like the things are probably about the same price. Mm-hmm. They're not really competing with each other. Because what's probably happening is you're getting it, say, I, I don't know about how sales go, but I'm going to assume, let's say you're supposed to make 15% over over the um, the cost of the product. If you're both getting the product at the same price and you know you're going to be competitive, you're probably going to go 15% over. You might be down slightly, but it's not going to be uh, going to be crazy. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. It's There's... I mean, there's always that idea when they they put those posts on the the wall that's saying we'll beat any competitor's price. It's like, yeah, but how much is the price really different? But here's the other trick: they don't sell the same things. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they do, but not like because you notice that McDonald's has a Big Mac, and Burger King's a Whopper. They're not the same sandwich. They can't compete in the, it's apples and oranges. Right, right. Uh, it's that's true. I mean, I, and I have my my preference in fast food burgers. I yeah. Don't, 
I don't know. <laughs> Wendy's burgers seem to be better to me. <laughs> I'm a Burger King guy, followed by Wendy's, followed by McDonald's, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, eventually you will get what you deserve. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> what are you really good at? That. Then what's the market value for that? So, like, if you're really good at something, but the pay isn't that good, well, you're not going to get a lot of money for it. Yeah, I, th- I think that goes back into doing uh, work as hard as you possibly can. Like, you might not get the immediate payout from it, but eventually you will. Mm-hmm. Again, people people quit things too easily, too soon. Yeah. Well, they taught the Napoleon Hill book taught. There's a book. I got to forget that one, too. I think it was like, it's called Three Foot from Gold. Like, the guy had a gold mine, and he was three foot short of buying the gold mine. Well, he had gold at first, and then the gold seemed to dry up. Yeah. And he quit, and then he sold the gold mine to another group that group actually paid to have a surveyor come mm-hmm. in and that surveyor found that the gold vein was actually three feet over from where the guy was digging and mm-hmm. they dug it up and they got filthy rich yeah but the the other side of that story is the guy that sold the gold mine he went on to become a millionaire through an insurance business that he created so yeah. you went to me listen he was apparently apparently very uh, very driven mm-hmm. my other favorite one reject most advice yeah because everyone's got an opinion it's like a what was it? The, the opinions are like buttholes. Everyone mm-hmm. has one. Well, the, the thing that he said that rang through was most advice people are giving you is they're winning a lottery. T- they're yesterday's winning a lottery ticket. I can see that. Yeah, because their their advice comes from their perspective and how they they won or how they lost and what they would do, and it's not as unique as your scenario would be. A calm mind, a fit body, and a house full of love. Mm-hmm. That sounds uh no very, brown no brown chicken brown cow. That sounds very uh very zen very. Well, it looks like from what I have in my notes, when you're finally wealthy, you'll realize it wasn't what you were seeking in the first place. Yeah, because the the, the whole idea of wealth is the idea that you're trying to get free again. You're trying to free your you want money to free your time. You don't want money just to have money unless mm-hmm. you're unless you're Scrooge McDuck. Then you just want to swim around and yeah. stuff. But does he even do that in the new cartoon? Oh, uh, I think once or twice. I only watched the first half. That's bogus. I, I can't stand that. But uh, yeah, I mean, a calm mind, a fit body, a house full of love. Like you don't want, you don't want your mind running all over the place, which is usually what happens because you have worries that are usually related to money problems and things like that. Which, if you have wealth, then you probably don't have that problem. Your body should be fit because the well, the example he gives is um. If you ask a guy that's not not sick what he wants, he'll say he wants all this other stuff. You ask a guy that's sick, he says he wants to be not, he wants to feel better. He mm-hmm. wants, like that's his important thing. A, a house full of love. I mean, that could be either you want your uh, you Hefner house full of love, or well, another note I have is a lot of divorces happen over money. A lot of battles happen over internal anger. Yeah, I, I can see that. A lot of a lot of people have fights over finances and money in their family and. Mm-hmm. That's why uh, my wife and I, we tend to keep our, our finances more separate because it works that way. Because mm-hmm. then my money's mine to do what I want and she, hers is hers. So mm-hmm. if one of us wants to buy something, we just buy it and we don't have to worry about the other person. Mm-hmm. And cannot stress this enough. There are no get-rich-quick schemes. I will, I will challenge that only because I will say there are get-rich-quick schemes, but they don't get you rich because they're schemes. They're shady. Get rich schemes. Get rich. Ah. Get rich schemes are just someone else getting rich off of you. Exactly. See, there it is. 
there's a you know a get rich quick scheme has got to be the, robbing a bank mm-hmm. like that's a get rich quick scheme that's yeah. that's but even then you're only getting like ten thousand dollars so you're not mm-hmm. rich. The other thing he also mentions is like because this is a tweet storm that was on Twitter and then him and his buddy did a podcast and the and the cool thing was these podcasts the episodes were like a minute two minutes a piece. I gave you the actual they they put it all together as one interview. So you didn't, like, I went through the whole podcast theme. It's funny, like, a couple times they did, like, oh, we did this whole section of the podcast. Now, here's, like, the whole thing in one piece. I'm like, where was this, like, 20 minutes ago? (laughs) But the one thing he talks about is we don't have ads because it ruins our credibility. And that's the thing. Like, he doesn't do ads or anything because it's like, well, we want you to know that what we're doing is legitimate. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the Chaco thing. He is all the ads on his podcast are at the end, and they're mm-hmm. ads for his product. Mm-hmm. So him and like his co-hosts sit there and talk about the their supplements and what they do and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I I I like the fact that like Joe Rogan's podcast, he has the ads up at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it's like you can skip those and you can get right to the meat. Well, fun fun fact. I was listening on Spotify the other day. It seems like every time I like I listen on my phone, so I connect to different Bluetooth, either my headset or my car. Every time I switched Bluetooth, it played another ad on oh, Spotify. They're getting they're getting sneaky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like that at all. Well, productize yourself. Productize yourself. Yeah, make your make yourself the product. Make your figure out what you're you look uniquely good at and apply as much leverage as possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, and I think businesses have been trying to do that. That's why they do, they do things like the Myers Briggs tests mm-hmm. and like the uh, what's the other one we just did? The uh, business chemistry, where it's like, what type of person are you? Are you a pioneer? Are you a driver? Or, I didn't know? take that test. I got the URL. Uh, yeah, I was to see if they have one that's outside of my company firewall. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what. Never mind. But they, there's a whole book about it, so mm-hmm. it's like it's a thing. But it's a it's a, it's an interesting one also. But it's like they're trying to figure out what type of person you are, so you can kind of figure out where you want to go in your career and, and what the company should do with you. Mm-hmm. Basically, which which type of cog they want you to be. Yeah. Find hobbies that make you rich, fit, and creative. Yeah, I mean that's 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 the idea. If their hobbies are fun. Like I like I like martial arts and I like all that sort of stuff. They're they keep me fun. They keep me fit and they're fun. Um, they haven't done jujitsu can get kind of creative, but I'm not at that level yet. I'm still at the level of trying not to be choked out. Mm-hmm. We should eventually be working for ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think that's kind of where everyone's going in this world. Mm-hmm. They're all, well, like I said, I, I came up with my little idea a couple of years ago that I keep, keep championing with my coworkers of you get a job, whatever, but didn't make all these side hustles. Mm-hmm. You find out which one is like the good one, then you start putting your time into that one, and then slowly but surely that side hustle makes more money until finally it's in competition with your your, your real job, and now you can get rid of your real job and do what you really want to do. You just defined entrepreneurship because that's really what it is. It's like you keep keep creating these businesses till one of them takes off, mm-hmm. and then like well that one you get that one up and stable and running, then you create another business mm-hmm. and you get that one up and running, and then that's how you really build wealth and you you. Become stable. So you're telling me I should have been an entrepreneur. What's that? You're telling me I should have been an entrepreneur sooner in life. Yeah, everyone should have. I mean, there are some people that I know that were, like, people that are were always, like, looking for that opportunity and that way to make money. But it wasn't me. I mean, we didn't all have a rich dad, poor dad type situations. Mm-hmm. The Kelly Criterion uh, rule, avoid ruin. Yeah, that was that's the one where it's like you want to avoid anything that completely ruins you. You don't. It's not so much like you get wiped out financially. Yeah. It's, it's one thing. Like, it's one thing if because the one thing you mentioned, which rang through, not true, but that was like wow, that makes sense. 
when you get money from investors, they don't always expect to get the money back. Right. So if you fail, you fail. But going to jail for manslaughter or murder or something, yeah. that's kind of ruining your life. Yeah, he, he says the orange jumpsuit is never a good idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you don't you don't want to do that. Don't that that's ruined going to jail. But have, failing a business as long as as long as you learn from it and you can come back, you, it's not ruin. It's just a a, a lesson. Uh-huh. Turn short term games into long term games. Uh, that one I. Don't, fully understand so basically you improve your leverage by turning short-term relationships into long-term ones like we talked about earlier about long-term relationships are easier to do business than short-term relationships because right. you have to feel a person out you don't think you can get screwed over but if you work this guy for 15 years and like you know well bob if he loses his shirt he's gonna give he's gonna make the money back somehow yeah so and compounding relationships make life easier. We talked about that already with mm-hmm. how, you know, in a marriage, the longer the marriage is successful, the easier the life gets with the two of them because they make decisions faster because they kind of know what the other, which way the other person's leaning on a decision already. Mm-hmm. Price determination charge some people more. He taught one of his examples of Starbucks. Like he would, he would like because he likes the coffee. He'd happily pay twenty dollars a cup for a cup of coffee, but not everybody was willing to do that. No, so they're usually pricing <laughs> for like the lowest common denominator. Like, well, I don't use to spend $5 on a cup of coffee, but at Starbucks, I'll get that. So basically, he's saying is you want to market to the rich people. When you come, when you create new technologies, new ideas, you can pay, you can charge a shitload of money because no one knows the secret how to do it. Right, right. Basically, if you have the, if you're the only supplier, you can create, mm-hmm. you can charge whatever you it's want. It's like when I go to these art, these art fairs, I'm like, you're charging $100 for that? And like, the pure alone are like $10. You put maybe four hours of, like, maybe you put an hour worth of work into it. Like, you're overcharging for this, and I could make this cheaper and faster. <laughs> but the thing is, most people don't think like that. So that's why sometimes when a lot of people see price tags, they're willing to pay whatever the price is. Well, there's also the, the the way of the factor. Like, yeah, you can make it cheaper and faster, but are you willing to? Yeah. Because the willing to do the thing is, pro- is usually the, the hurdle. Mm-hmm. Rich people in larger uh, enterprises are willing to pay more, like I just said. And that, that's true, because I know for a fact that, like... Uh, a lot of companies, they have an in-house agency, but they'll hire an outside agency and they'll pay astronomical fees for them to come up with their branding and their ads and things like that. They're, they'll pay way more than other people can. Yeah, that's the only thing that drives me nuts is like, because I, I, I have a small business doing computer repair. And like, oh, you get all these things. Oh, I can do your website. It's like thousands of dollars. I'm like, am I really getting $1,000 worth of a thing out of this? Yeah. But then you get other companies like $1,000. We spend $10,000. This is a steal. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of dollars for websites, and they're not even all that great mm-hmm. sometimes. But it's all like rolling up my sleeves. But I digest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Consumer surplus, getting more than you pay for. Uh, what's the notes on that there, Joel? Oh, uh, we'll see in a second. People are willing to pay more than what companies charge. I, thought that, I was saying that earlier. Consumer surplus is the extra value you get when you pay less than you're will- than you were willing. Okay, so basically by by them charging less for it, when yeah. you, you pay twenty dollars, but they charge you five dollars for a coffee, then you're getting the sur- the surplus is the fifteen dollars. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't understand the lesson in that because that seems pretty self explanatory. But yeah, but the thing is, though, is like you don't want to rip people off, but you want to give them value. Like, say for example, let's say the cup of coffee costs you two dollars to, to sell. You can do three dollars worth of profit, and make some money. But if you make, but eighteen dollars of profit, like that's what they want to do. Prime example: my friend's uncle does candles. The candles were like twenty bucks. Well, 
if you sell for him as a family member, you get the 15 bucks. He only takes the five. Yeah. Because you're selling the candles. Like, you're doing all the work. The candles are costing like a buck a piece to make. He's yeah. still making $4 a candle. Right. So. Yeah, that's not bad. That's mm-hmm. super interesting. Externalities. Calculating the hidden costs of products. Basically, I think when you're building things, you got to. Let's see. The hidden cost, I guess, would be like the actual la- and the well, labor is usually in there, but it's like the the research time and things like that, maybe. Oh, properly producing, properly pricing extremities can save resources in tremendous in a tremendous way. So, like for example, if you take a job as a contractor to like do someone's floor, you always calculate fifteen percent in to make sure if you screw up. Right. But yeah. like if you're doing some project and you're not sure of how much it's going to cost. And you know, like the bare minimum, you might add another fifteen or twenty percent because it's more hazardous. Yeah. Or maybe you're adding you're adding extra money because you know I'm gonna run into a bigger problem. It costs me more money. Yeah, that's the same thing with uh with with the, if you're calculating how long it'll take you to do a project at the time, you want to pad the time because yeah. it's easier to give back time than to, to come up with it at the end. Exactly. If you're, if you're giving somebody a budget for a project, you don't want to say, oh, this is going to be five thousand dollars, and it comes out to be eight thousand dollars. You'd rather say it's eight thousand dollars. Tell them it. Tell them it only took five thousand. Give them back their three thousand. Mm-hmm. And don't forget the Scotty principle. What's the Scotty principle? Scotty didn't know. No. If it's going to take you two hours, you tell him it's going to take six. So when you get it done in four, you look like a miracle worker. Exactly. Exactly. Always over, 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 always under promise and over deliver. Mm-hmm. I always say that the wrong way because it's a joke to me. Yeah. <laughs> and the one final bonus tip from him, find time to invest in yourself. And that, that's an important one. And I mean, if people are listening to this podcast, they're already kind of investing in themselves, I think, a little bit. And they're probably... Hopefully going out and they're checking out some of these resources and these books we're giving them because, I mean, reading reading and learning is a lifelong skill and it's something that people can't take away from you. Yeah, coming soon in the next two or three weeks is I'm going to make a library on the website of the books that you and I have read so nice. that people can go through them and maybe ask questions about something they already read or something. Very cool, very and cool. And that is the end of the podcast. Nice. Episode three. That's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Well, actually, I got a surprise for you. Oh, is the outro ready? No, the outro's not ready. Oh. But instead, let's hear something about Eugene so the audience can know us better. Oh, man. I just was working on a bio slide for work, too. <laughs> uh, what, what what to say about myself? I don't know. I thought we already put that on the website. Yeah, but, like, more stuff. Because in the next year or two, they're going to know a lot about us. Yeah, yeah, probably. Hopefully. Um, hopefully not too much. No, don't, don't dox me. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I... Zip code I, is... Yeah, I am a, a, a 20-year-old web veteran. I've been building websites for pretty much as long as there's been a commercial website, just slightly under that. Um, that's my, my day profession. I'm a lifelong martial artist. Um, married, have three cats, uh... What else can I say? You know, different different hobbies I pick up, and I like to play with things like uh, trying to learn guitar. Uh, that's that's kind of the, the main new one. Um, avid comic book reader, movies, video games. For me, I am forty three. I am a Davis engineer. Started life out as a help desk person and worked my way into e commerce, which is kind of cool. But fun thing is like. I feel like my entire life is a big movie of Slumdog Millionaire. Like every time I turn around, something I've worked on in the past has come back to to like show what it's done. Like I keep telling, saying I'm a generalist. Like I've learned a little bit of everything, and it's kind of cool because like everything can relate to something else. And like I'm enjoying it more and more as life goes on. Of oh, that's similar to this. That's similar to this. I had a project earlier in the year where the guys like, oh, you wouldn't understand this project. 
And what he explained was an exact project I did before, just a different product. <laughs> so I like learning things. I like, like expanding knowledge. I love self-help. Like, I remember as a kid, the Dynex, you know, the Dynex commercials used to show, like, oh, yeah. improve your mind. I'm glad I never called that phone number. Because <laughs> after watching Scientologist documentary, I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot all about this. But, like, I've always been obsessed with learning how the human brain works. I remember in, like, high school and middle school, I was going to the library and getting books on hypnosis and how the brain worked and stuff like that. So. That's, uh, that's about it for me. So. Yep. So we're done. All right. Cue the outro. Yeah. That wraps up another episode of The Mention the Machine. If you would like to contact or subscribe to the podcast, please visit TheMentionTheMachine.com. If you would like to leave a voicemail, please call 412-294-8557.